If you have your Bibles, please uh, take them and turn with me to uh, the Gospel of John today, the Gospel of John. And uh, you'll notice that we're in John. Uh, last week I had started a series in Psalm 119, and, uh, and I decided, even in the middle of last week's sermon, that uh, there was uh, this thought, having that it was July 4th today, and it is Happy Independence Day for those of you, uh, at least for uh, many of you that are uh, celebrating that. Uh, we, I thought, you know, it reminded me of a, of a theme or a truth that the Lord had been kind of impressed on my, my heart over the last, uh, you know, couple months and year, the year or the year of the pandemic, and that is, uh, and that is our freedom in Christ, our freedom in Christ. Um, we've lost a lot of freedoms, in a sense, in some sense, in, during our pandemic, um, but in, if in, in reality, we did not lose our freedom in Christ. And, I, and that, that freedom in Christ, when we grasp and understand what it is, it, it is a profound freedom that is ours. No matter, no matter what circumstances happen in our life, we can never lose that kind of the freedom that Christ has provided for us because it is a freedom that is truly indeed. All right. So John chapter 8, uh, 31 to uh, I'm going to focus on verse 36. It's really just going to be a, a verse that I launch off to a bunch of verses. So today's more of a, uh, a, a topical sermon. I'm going to cover a lot of different passages. But to prepare us for uh, getting into this sermon, I'd like to read John chapter 8, verse 31 to 36. John chapter 8, verse 31 to 36. The Apostle John writes these words. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. It is on this uh, 4th of July of 2021 uh, that we have the opportunity as, uh, as Christians or as even citizens of the nation to, have, to uh, celebrate the many freedoms that we have. We celebrate, for instance, first, uh, probably on a national level, our nation's freedom, right? Our nation's freedom from the rule of Britain some uh, 200 years ago or so. We remember our nation's declaration of independence, its freedom uh, from uh, Britain's, at least we would have called it tyranny back then, and, uh, uh, or taxation without representation, all that good stuff. And we celebrate that on the 4th of July. But we also celebrate on this day, and this day as a church, uh, for something that's taking place within our church body. Uh, you know, this past year, our church's freedom <laughs> from, um, we, we're, has been restricted in, in, in our worship services. We've had a year-long COVID restrictions uh, for the safety of, of our body, but our services have been quite restricted. And although we've, we've, we've had uh, some form of, of worship services, and particularly even in-person worship services since December uh, last year, Today uh, was, you many you guys all know, for the first time uh, since the pandemic, the first time since the pandemic, all three of Essa Bible's regular worship services are being held in our building again. 
So that's just a huge kind of, uh, just a huge kind of moment in the history of the church. We're we're thankful that um, you know on this March, I think March seventeenth, two thousand twenty, that we decided that we were going to you know, start having uh, services online virtually for at least what we thought until we flattened the curve. You know, um, but it's been like a year and a year plus since then, right? And here we are. Uh, allowing our, our service are meeting freely once again, uh, at least uh, back together. And I know that not everyone's comfortable to come in person. Uh, we have, in fact, we, we kind of know that even not everybody may be comfortable to, uh, to be so close to one another. And, and so we try to, our return team has been working so hard uh, in trying to, uh, to provide, set up the church so that it can uh, best minister to, all, to as many people as possible. And so continue to pray for them. We really thank our, uh, give thanks to God for our return team. However, um, we, we certainly give thanks to God for our freedom to worship today. Um, but as great as these freedoms are, our freedom as a nation, our freedom as a church to worship uh, in person as we are today, there is an even greater freedom that disciples of Christ can celebrate this day. A freedom that is greater than even those two freedoms, and that is our, our freedom in Christ. And like all freedoms, though, including our freedom in Christ, we, we try to take our freedoms for granted, don't we? We begin to take them for granted, and we, we forget how important they are until it's taken away, until it's gone. But today's passage reminds us, is Jesus reminding us of the, of the greatness of this freedom that we have. This, that the freedom that we have is, is a true freedom. It's a lasting freedom, and it's a freedom that can never be taken away. Freedom from sin through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Freedom from the bondage, the slavery uh, to sin has been provided for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to find out in our text. And in this, in this, so as we look at this verse today, we just to give a little background for the Gospel of John. John tells us specifically why he wrote his Gospel. In John 20, verse 31, he says, These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John documents the life of Christ so that his reader can see all that Jesus taught, can see that Jesus is true, see that Jesus what Jesus spoke, see that all that Jesus did, his miracles, his particularly his character, and that by observing these things about Jesus, they may believe that he is the Christ, the Messiah, that he's the fulfillment of all of God's promises in the Old Testament scriptures, that they secondly also may believe that he's the Son of God, that he's not only the Christ, but he is the Son of God, the 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 divine Son of God. It is only because he's the divine Son of God that he can accomplish the third purpose, that knowing that he's the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing in him and believing what he did, that's why we may have eternal life in his name. Because he, the Son of God, died an eternal death, paying an eternal payment for our sins that deserved an eternal wrath so that we might be set free who believe upon him. In this chapter, Jesus is teaching in Jerusalem. He's been teaching during one of the major feasts of, the, of, the, of Israel, the Feast of Tabernacles. And he, in, he makes one of his great seven I am statements. He says, I am the light of the world, back in verse 12. And he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in, in response to that statement, I am the light of the world, the, uh, the Pharisees began a series of exchanges with him, challenges, and then there's a back and forth, denying who he was. But Jesus skillfully, of course, answers every challenge. And as a result of his 
teaching, his response to the Pharisees, many, according to verse 30, came to believe in him. That's, that's where we arrive at our passage today. Our passage picks up then as Jesus instructs these believers about how they can truly be his disciples and be truly free. It's not enough that he just says, oh, you believe me, now you're free. He says, this is how you can be truly free. This is how you will know that you are genuinely his disciples. And so Jesus knows that there are going to be people who believe in him who don't genuinely believe in him. And the sad thing is that even in our day, there are many people who, first of all, they don't believe in Jesus. But even sadder is that there are people who say they believe in Jesus, but in their hearts don't genuinely trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They, don't, they haven't genuinely confessed him as Lord. They have not genuinely turned away from sin, repented, and classed themselves completely at the mercy of God. And so today I want to take a look at this, how, we, uh, how disciples of Christ are truly free, as we'll talk about. And we're going to outline today, we're going to look at two truths about true freedom for disciples of Jesus. So those who are, those who are followers of Jesus, here are two truths about your freedom so that as a disciple of Jesus that you may understand, that you may be understand that you, are, that, you, that you are a true disciple and that you are truly free. Okay, so two truths. And uh, we're going to, um, and so today's sermon, again, I said is, is going to be a more topical sermon. So if you're kind of used to me doing verse by verse, uh, this is a little different from that. It's just by the fact that I'm going to be preaching about uh, reading four or five different passages and trying to explain each one a little briefly. So, our focus, though, is going to be on verse 36. We begin with a focus on verse 36. Look at verse 36 again. It says, so if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Israel, that, that verse, was, I was just going to preach that one verse, uh, uh, but uh, then it, and I thought, oh, I'll include some other passages from Scripture. So, but this verse it has basically two parts, right? If the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. There's two parts, and each of these parts are a marker for our different parts of uh, the sermon. And in the first half of the verse, we are reminded when Jesus says, so if the Son makes you free, we're reminded then of the source of true freedom, the source of our true freedom in Christ, all right? And uh, Jesus tells us uh, quite uh, very straightforwardly that it is the Son that makes you free. It is the Son that is the source of our true freedom. And of course, we know today within the completion of Scripture, etc., we know that the Son is Jesus himself, Right? Because many times throughout scriptures, throughout the Gospels, he would address God as his Father. He calls to God. In fact, uh, just look back to verse 28. And there Jesus said this, when you lift up the Son of Man, and that was a term that he would often use of himself. It's actually uh, taken out of the Gospel, uh, not the Gospel, but the book of Daniel. It, it, it's a messianic term. So he's basically claiming to be the Messiah uh, throughout his ministry. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Notice that in the NAS, it's actually, um, it's actually italicized. So the He is actually provided for us as a means of just kind of further explaining. But literally, what Jesus says is, then you will know that I am. And He doesn't do the, and He does this not only here in verse 20, but He does the same thing in verse 24. He will, unless you believe that I am. And the I am is significant because this is the divine name, God. When God revealed who his name is to, to Moses, his, how did he say who, what his name was? I am who I am. 
That's a, so whenever we see Jesus referring to that you will know that I am, and that even the seven I am statements are all basically Jesus' way of, of declaring that he is God, that he is divine. Now, here he is declaring that he's God, but then he, look at what he says, continues on, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. He's actually referring to, to the Father. It says, all the things that come out of my mouth, the Father, that is Heavenly Father, has taught me. He has just claimed to be, that you're going to know that I'm God, I'm divine, I am. But then at the same time, he's distinct from the Father. So how is that possible? Of course, it means that he is a second, the, one of the members of the Trinity. He is the second person of the Trinity. Therefore, he is the Son of God. Right? So Jesus is the divine of Son of God. And so, who has, therefore, the power to make you free? And he is the source of, therefore, our true freedom. Now, we might ask, then, how does the Son make you free? If the Son makes you free, but how does the Son make you free? What does he, uh, and he provides this freedom uh, in the most obvious way is what we just remembered through communion, right? He provided our freedom. And think, when we think about how did the Christ set you free, you say, oh, through his death on the cross, and that's going to be our second, the second, uh, well, uh, well, you'll see a second kind of aspect of uh, this small point. But I want to focus on what the, this text particularly says, that Christ provides freedom to us through his word, through his word. Yes, he provides freedom through his death, but in these, in these verses, Jesus emphasizes that he provides true freedom to us through his word. Look at verse 31, 32 again with me. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, verse 32 is a very familiar verse. Uh, I think many people will quote it, even many secular people will quote it. Hey, man, the truth will set you free, man. You know, uh, uh, or whatever way you might have heard it at some point. And this verse, of course, is misapplied, misquoted many times. This passage is not speaking about how you need to be truthful. It's not talking about how you need to be true to yourself. It's not about being how you need to be a lifelong seeker of the truth, though that's not a bad thing to be. But in these two verses, Jesus instructs basically those who had believed him that true freedom, freedom comes from continuing in his word. He says, if you continue on my word, then you'll be true disciples and you will know the truth. You'll know through continuing his word, you know the truth. And so he's equating his word with truth, and that truth will set you free. That's how so it's his, through his word that we're set free. By the way, what does it mean to continue in his word? The verb continue means to remain, to stay. Uh, it's translated as abide elsewhere in the gospel. I think the most familiar place for us is John 15. In fact, John 15, 5, when Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me, there's a very vivid picture right there, and I in him. A vine, I did some yard work yesterday, I was getting rid of those ivy vines, oh yeah. You know, I was just cutting them off. And I knew as soon as I snipped one of those things, they were goners, right? Of course, the, 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 main, the vine's still there, but those branches were goners. Because apart to, they need to stay with the branch before they want to live. Uh, sadly, I think I have really deep roots. But the same goes for Christians. You stay with the vine who is Jesus and as we who are the branches, we will bear much fruit. Jesus continues on, for apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a profound truth. You know, we think we live for Jesus. Unless we're connected to Jesus, we can do nothing. You can do nothing. 
without being abiding and being part of Jesus Christ. So to continue or to abide means to basically to not, not depart, not depart from his word, not depart from believing his word, to not depart from following his word. It's important to note that abiding in his word, especially the idea, the aspect of obeying his word, when we follow his word, that's the idea of obedience. It's not the abiding or the obeying that makes you a true disciple of Jesus. not that. That would be a work salvation. But rather, Jesus emphasizing that a true disciple of Jesus will be one who abides in his word, will be one who keeps believing, keeps following and obeying Christ's words, because that will be the manifest, that manifests, that obedience is a manifestation of a genuine faith in our hearts. But sadly, as in Jesus' day, so in our day, there are many who profess faith and they believe in Jesus, but they do not continue or abide in his word. Uh, you know, I'm, I haven't looked at the most recent Barna survey, you know, uh, or the Pew Research survey. Sometimes they'll kind of ask uh, Americans, like, what religion do you identify with? And, they, and then for a long time, if it still is, I'm not even sure, then Americans, for the majority, would say, identify as Christians, right? It's just, you know, and of course, there's a whole gamut of Christians, but they would say, I'm a Christian. They, but um, so many, if you just look across America, you'll know that there are many people who profess faith in Jesus, but they... They say they believe in Jesus, but they do not continue or abide in his word. They don't believe his word. They don't follow his word. That's why when they get, you do, they do further surveys, oh, you're a Christian? And then ask them, well, do you believe the Bible is, is true, all true? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that you, you can be, there's other ways to be saved? And many of these professing Christians will say, oh, yeah, 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 you can do that. Oh, yeah, the, no, the Bible's not all true. You know, they will pick and choose what they believe, which the, the, fits, the parts that simply fit with their, their, you know, their modern sensibility or fit with their, whatever the societal norms are. And then they, they discount everything else that's as basically outdated or something that may be misinterpreted by Jesus' followers. They will even profess to love Jesus. All the while, they do not love his word. Can you love Jesus and not love his word? Can you abide in Jesus and not abide in his word? You cannot. These people who do not, who, they may profess faith in Jesus, but they don't obey his word. And when you do not continue in Jesus' words, there will be, there's a consequence to that. It will affect the way your, your life. And you will either, if you are genuinely saved, you will either realize the foolishness of it and repent eventually, or you will not continue with Jesus for long. Because if you don't need Jesus' words, you don't need Jesus. If you don't need the Bible, which is Jesus' truth, the truth that Jesus spoke to you, you really don't need Jesus. And that's what we find happen. When, it's, when churches that jettison the Bible, God's word, in short, usually by a generation or two, they have jettisoned Jesus himself as well. And we see that in all the dead churches all across our city. The disciple who continues in Jesus' words is one who's going to come to know the truth. And since Jesus is the Son of God, who speaks what God the Father gives him to speak, all that he speaks is truth. Whatever he speaks about, he speaks truthfully about. That's real significant. Because people will say, oh, well, just Jesus is only speaking truth. It's just only spiritual truths. But if Jesus, if Jesus speaks about historical truths, 
historical matters, he's speaking truth about that matter. So if he says the world is created by God, the world was created by God. When Jesus talks about uh, natural things, he speaks truthfully about natural things. About matters of science, he speaks truthfully about those. All that Jesus speaks about, whatever he speaks, he speaks about the, the psychology of man. He speaks truthfully about that. All that Jesus speaks about, because he speaks truth, he speaks truly. It is true. Jesus never says anything false. When he speaks about creation, about God, about mankind, about himself, and about our response to him, he speaks the truth. He speaks truly about it all. And freedom comes from knowing this truth and responding rightly to it so that we can be free. The creator means that there's, we are creation, that we, therefore we must answer to a creator. Our creator tells us that we are all fallen because of sin, and therefore we are helpless in our sin. Therefore, if in our helplessness of sin, our Bible tells us, our creator tells us that he sends a savior for us. And therefore that savior is whom we look to for salvation from our sin. And this is all we learn from God's word, from, God, from the Lord. And this knowledge of this truth is what sets us free. You know, if you ever look at our world today and you ever wonder why it is so messed up, sometimes I look at a world and I'm like, oh, it's just a beautiful world. But there are sometimes I look at a world like, oh, this world's messed up. You know? <laughs> it, just, it just kind of depends on what news article you're looking at. I mean, you know, it was, but it, it is a, many times you look at a world and it's, it is a messed up world. It's an upside down world. Why is this world so upside down? Why does our world sometimes call so many good things evil and many evil things good? The reason is you can trace it all back to the rejection of the truth of God's word. That behind it all is a rejection of God's word. Notice even in the text that Jesus' listeners are a perfect example of this. Jesus tells them, right? He just told them about, uh, uh, about how they can be free and how they can true examples. And, uh, uh, and then what do they do? Verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. <laughs> How is it that you say that you, will be, that you will become free? These are Israelites, okay? These are Jewish people, right? And they're saying, we're descendants. They, they depend, you can see what they depend upon for their, for their, their freedom. We're Abraham's descendants, their, their, their nationality, their, their, that they have that chosen nation status, basically. And, and, the, and because, they, but the, because they reject God's truth, they have even den- they're basically denying they've ever been enslaved to anyone. Hello, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Rome, right? They've been enslaved by every single one of those empires. And in some in between. The fact is, when you reject the truth of God's word, you come out, you, make, you arrive at some conclusions that just don't make sense. You have to deny reality. Does that sound familiar? Sounds familiar. Sadly, they and the world today reject the Son and His Word. And you see, when you reject God's Word, and when you say that there is no, you reject God's Word, then, then, then you're saying that there is no Creator. You don't have to believe there's a Creator. And if there's no Creator, then you can worship whoever you like. There's no one you have to answer to. You're the highest in your life. You're the final authority. You're God. When you reject God's word, then, then there's no curse of sin, right? And good is whatever you wish to define it as. What's good for you is, is up to you. What's good for me is up to me. 
When you reject God's word, then there's no savior. You know, there's no savior. You don't need a savior. In fact, you can be the savior. As far back as I remember, you know, when I'm uh, in our in my uh, in schooling days, I remember, you know, the world would kind of just always hop on the the next thing to save. We always want to be the savior. Save the whales. Remember that? Yeah, Star Trek was big on that. Save the whales. Okay, then save the rainforest. Remember that? Save the rainforest. Now save the ozone layer. Well, actually, it's probably other things we're saving now. It's, that's ozone layer. Is that still going on? Okay. But, you know, save the ozone layer. So we're, not that those aren't real things, okay? The, you know, some th- animals, you go extinct and rainforests do, you know, burn. And ozone layers are, you know, there seems to be a bigger hole up there. Sure. But we, we think we're the savior of everything. When you, do, when you fail to understand that there is a savior that has come to save us. And so on. And I just, these are just examples. Basically, when we reject God's truth, then we start, we just come to our own conclusions about things. And that is, that is a, a bondage, an enslavement, because it's a bondage to things that are not true, not real. How many of our people out there are like, oh, oh. how many of them are living lives of pain, torment, because they have rejected God's truth? So many people, they don't even know it's because they reject God's truth. You see, without God's word and the truth of Christ, we are enslaved. We're enslaved to our own sin and our depravity. And we, in our sin, we, we like to think, oh, good. We keep looking to ourselves as the arbiter of truth, thinking that we know what's best for ourselves, and that, or that simply if we're just true to ourselves, but then, then we'll be free. But... The, what, is, what is the reality? What God tells us of the reality in his word is that looking inside is not the answer. When, when the Bible tells us that when you look inside, what you find here is a sinful heart, a heart that is just desperately sick, more deceitful than all, all else. That's Jeremiah 79. We will not find the truth inside of us. We will only find the truth in the words of God, in the words of Christ. as you continue in them. And as we continue in those truths, it's not just a one-time, so I believe it, but it's a continuing in those truths, continually believing in it, continue to live in light of it, continue to follow it. Then you will know true freedom. This freedom is provided for us through his word. God, Jesus, provides, is the source of true freedom for us through his word. But secondly, and John 30 is the pastor there, there's a second thing, and this is the, more, that is the way that why Jesus, how Jesus provides our, uh, our freedom, and that's what we, already kinda, we all know already as Christians, that he provides freedom through his death. Although this isn't really explicitly mentioned in the text, but I think if you know your Bibles, it is taught by Jesus throughout his ministry, and, and it's implied in our text today. Look at Jesus, what he states in verse 34. Jesus said, answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Here he tells them, you guys, they're denying that they're enslaved. And so he says, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. This is what you're enslaved to. You say you're not free, you're, you're, you're free, you're not. You're enslaved to sin. To commit sin is, 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 uh, uh, is basically this, is a, a light, is a, not just a one-time sin, but this, it's a, it's that our lives are characterized by sin. It's an ongoing sin. It's a habitual sin. It's the practice of sin. And all humanity is characterized by this. There's not a single one of mankind that doesn't commit sin. 
King Solomon, the wisest man in all the world before Jesus arrived, wrote this very same thing in Ecclesiastes 7.20, that there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. We cannot help but sin. And the wages of our sin is death. Not only our own physical death, but it will, that leads also to a spiritual death, an eternal separation from God in hell. So if we're all enslaved to sin, and his truth sets us free, what particular truth must we know? And it is the truth that Jesus proclaimed when he arrived and went throughout his ministry. It is the truth of the gospel. And at the heart of the gospel is the truth of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. The death of Christ for our sins. That's the heart of the gospel message. That's the key truth for our salvation. It's the gospel, right? We looked at that uh, past couple uh, months ago. And that is why Jesus came. He came to die for our sins. He came as a substitute to die in our place. place. Jesus, in fact, uh, remember early in verse 28, he had taught about how the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus taught the same to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. This is not about his crucifixion. So that whoever believes will in him have eternal life, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See, true freedom, freedom from sin is through Christ's death to the world. That's why God sent his Son, his only begotten Son, to be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness, lifted up on a cross to die in place of us. True freedom is found only in Christ's death. He is the source of our freedom. And I think you all know that, and so we won't spend too much time there. But in the remainder of our sermon, I'd like to reflect then on the significance of the last part of verse 36, the second truth about true freedom. And, uh, and that is the extent of true freedom. The extent of true freedom. If the Son sets you free, last part of verse 36, Jesus says, you will be free indeed. You'll be free indeed. Literally, it says, it's trans- it may be translated as, truly free you will be. Yeah. The adverb translated indeed is used only uh, 10 times in the New Testament. It's used by, and it it's kind of stands out because this is the only place in all of the Gospels or anywhere uh, where Jesus' words are recorded that he uses this word. So the fact that he uses it is kind of significant. He says, not only, he says, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free. He could just said that. You will be free, just period. And that would have been more than sufficient. But he adds, you'll be free indeed. You'll be truly free, really free. The word means to be really or certainly or in truth. And that's why I, I believe truly free is a, is a good translation. The world are, today has many ideas about what it means to be free. I remember in junior high class, we, we take these philosophical, you know, watch these philosophical videos and, uh, and then kind of write essays about what is freedom or what is liberty. You know, you write those articles in those journals, you know, but just philosophy type stuff. So the world has a lot of ideas about what it means to be free. But the Bible here speaks about a real freedom, and it's a real freedom because of a real enslavement that all of us face. There is a true freedom from a true enslavement. 
And how is it that freedom in Christ makes us truly free? When we consider the rest of the New Testament, we find several truths then about the extent of our freedom in Christ. Our freedom, our freedom from sin. Let's take a look at then at four of these, and they're basically just elaborations on the freedom from sin. But number one, the extent of our true freedom is that the freedom of Christ that we have is freedom from slavery to sin. It's a freedom from slavery to sin. That we, uh, before we knew Christ, we couldn't help but sin. That was a slavery to sin. But now we see that we are set free from that slavery to sin. Romans 6, 6 to 18. Look at the scripture with me. Do you not know, Romans, Paul writes, that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. See, whom or what you obey is what is whom or what you're enslaved to. Who you can't say no to, in a sense, is, is whom you're in bondage to. What you can't, when you can't say no to, those, to drugs or to alcohol, you're enslaved to drugs or alcohol. And when you can't say no to sin, temptation to sin, you are slaves to sin. And that is all of us before Christ. When we listen and obey sin, then we are slaves to sin. That's what Paul's saying. And sin has a terrible consequence that it leads to death. And when, but we, when we believed upon Christ, Paul tells us that we were set free from our bondage to sin. That this inability to say no to sin, we've been set free from that so that we are now transformed to live righteous lives in obedience to Christ. And instead of being slaves to sin, in fact, Paul says, we're now slaves to righteousness. We're now slaves of Christ, leading to sanctification. It's with the aid of Christ, with the aid of his spirit, that we can choose to not sin. Certainly, not every sin that so easily entangles us, though, is overcome overnight, right? Uh, when we became Christians, I know when I became a Christian, I, I still wrestled with a lot of different sins those, uh, that, had a, that, that, uh, that I had in my life. But the difference was, and hopefully the difference for you, is that you know that there's sin. And that you know that when you came to Jesus, you, you, want, you, you wanted to turn away from that sin. And you knew that you had to depend upon him for help in turning away from those sins, right? And even today, though you may still wrestle with some sins, you know that when you commit sin, that it's wrong and that you will quickly respond by confessing sin to the Lord and asking for forgiveness, it's a difference. You're no longer a slave to sin. You don't, can't say no to sin, but now you can say no to sin. You can say no to ungodliness and unrighteousness. God sent his own son as an offering for the sin of the world. And what God did is he condemned sin, your sin and my sin, in the flesh of Jesus when he died on the cross. God, he poured the punishment that our sin deserved and when you believed upon him, uh, basically, uh, <laughs> you were set free from that, that, uh, the bondage to slavery, to sin. And with God's with help of God's word, God's spirit, and God's people, that's why we need God's, the church, we can wrestle and have victory over sin and temptation. 
Christ is doing a work in transforming us into the image of his son. Secondly, uh, there's a, not only does freedom in Christ is a freedom from slavery to sin, but freedom in Christ is freedom from condemnation for our sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 4. Uh, Paul writes, therefore there, there are, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law cannot do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In Christ, and this is one of the best news of all for for many of us, uh, or it's among one of the great news, we are no longer under the threat of condemnation for our sin. You know, God does not condemn you for your sin. I know as Christians, when we sin, what do you feel? Guilt, right? You ought to feel guilt, okay? That's a natural response. You feel guilty. And what happens a lot of times is that instead of responding rightly to that guilt, instead we just kind of sit there and condemn ourselves. You ever do that? Yeah, no, me neither, okay? Me neither. Uh, yeah, we do. How could you do that? You're a Christian. You love Jesus. Why would you do that? You're a fool. You know, and you can just see all that self, you know, self-condemnation that goes on. Not only that, but not only is there a lot of times when we sin, we, we, we condemn ourselves, but when we sin, others condemn us, right? When people, uh, you know... Uh, it's always sad, but, you know, again, it's, it's not too often. And not, every too often I find another, I get news of another pastor who is caught up in sin. It's not surprising me that pastors get caught up in sin, okay? Pastors sin. But a lot of times what happens inevitably is that is that the world has been become so big that the world gets the wind of it. There's always the condemnation. You can just look in the comments of the news articles and just see, oh, that guy's, they're just hypocrites, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all at church, et cetera. And, you know, and the list goes on. And sadly, some of that condemnation doesn't come from the world, but some of that condemnation comes from the church, doesn't it? How could he do that? He was our pastor. He should have known better. We should should kick him out of the church. And even though we might condemn ourselves, even though others might condemn you, God does not condemn you who are in Christ Jesus when you sin. He doesn't. Because you are now under a different law. You were once operating under the law of sin and death. That is a simple, it simply explains that when you sin, it leads to death. The sin leads to a, a condemnation. That there's a, there's a consequence for your sin. A condemnation. There's a penalty for your sin that's reserved for you, and that is death. You know, uh, Oh, oh. And the Bible tells us that the, the condemnation for our sin is, is death. The wage of sin is death. And no matter how hard you tried, your weak flesh couldn't even resist sin. That's why God sent his son and died. And, and when he died on the cross, God condemned all of your sin and my sin upon Jesus, his body, when he died there. He bore the punishment that our sin deserved. But when you believed and when you believed upon him, God enacted a new law to be operating in our life. No longer does he operate under, you are 
have you operate on the law of sin and death. That's why when you sin, you're not condemned to die because he condemned his son to die in your place. Instead, there's a new law, a law of, spirit, a sp- a law of the spirit, that there's now the indwelling of the spirit operating in your life, regenerating your soul, and that spirit is resulting in eternal life. And therefore, you don't have to be afraid of condemnation because the Spirit of God is at work in you. That's why you do feel guilty. You should feel guilty when you sin, but don't let it just leave you there and condemn yourself. Know that God condemned his Son so that you might be set free from that condemnation and that instead you can respond by repenting and confessing and turning back to the Lord and experience the life that he is working in you through his Spirit. No one can condemn you for the sins that Christ has already paid for. Yes, you might condemn yourself. Yes, the world can condemn you, but they have no authority to condemn you, truly. But God has authority to condemn you, but he doesn't because he condemned his son in your place. And that's a wonderful truth. And that's when you remember that. The next time you fall, the next time you fail, the next time everybody's like, you know, looking at you, how can you do that? And you're a Christian. And it's going to happen to all of us, Okay. And we all sin. And uh, we try, by the power of God, we're set free from slavery to sin, it's true. But in the flesh, we still wrestle. That's the extent of freedom. Freedom in Christ is freedom from condemnation, freedom from slavery to sin. Thirdly, freedom in Christ is freedom from legalism. It's freedom from legalism. That, we can pick this up in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not, subject again, subject, do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, the Galatians, they were, they were basically falling back into uh, thinking, uh, uh, into thinking in that the observance of the Old Testament laws or ceremonial laws, particularly like circumcision, dietary laws, would somehow lead or result in their salvation. So it was basically going back to a, you know, uh, a work salvation. And so Paul writes this letter to admonish them, and he admonishes them that, that Christ set you free from the law. Christ set you free from any effort of your own flesh to attain salvation, to attain your salvation. That you are not and never will be and never could be saved by your own fleshly works. And so he exhorts them instead to keep standing firm in the gospel of grace. Stand firm in this gospel. You were saved in this gospel. Stand firm in it. Don't move from this, from Christ. Stand firm. Don't fall back into the slavery to outward observances of the law for salvation. They never saved, and they will never save. No observance of any law will save you or make you more accepted by God. No observance of any law, no observance in any command will save you. Just think of all the New Testament commands, as many as they are, good as they are, none of them will save you or make you more accepted by God for those who are already in Christ. Because he completely accepts you in his son. Legalism, the belief that observing certain laws, certain rules makes you, can save you or makes you more accepted by God is what we were set free when Christ died in our place. Legalism back then uh, looked like the observance to Jewish law. But legalism today takes on different forms, you know, and it's different today. No one's going to think twice about whether you're circumcised or not or whether you eat kosher foods or not or and those, what kind of clothes you wear, whether, it's, what kind of the, whether you're wearing cloth, cotton or not. Nobody thinks about those things. But we have a different rules today that we have sometimes 
evaluate others by, do we? We, we may not have to go to so far as a saying that that person is saved because of they, they do those things, but in our back of our minds, sometimes we think that they're more acceptable to God because they do those things. Think about it. Does worship, does that worship service attendance save you? Good. I see a lot of shaking heads, and they're all going in the right direction, right? It's not none of this. None of that, right? It's, it's, no, I'm not happy with that, right? Because you know, we all agree that it does not, just as participating in temple worship did not save a single Israelite, right? So attending worship service does not save anyone. However, as a pastor, and I'm just going to say this as a pastoral kind of just a uh, concern and just prayer, really, that I'm afraid that our return to in-person services is we may start kind of judging one another. You know, some of you are here. Some of you are joining us virtually. And we may start judging one another basically by according to whether they're worshiping here in person or they're worshiping uh, online. And, and And we cannot see into the hearts. We don't understand the heart of every, every soul. There may be reasons why some are worshiping online, virtually at home, that may be completely honorable to the Lord. In fact, some of you may be worshiping here for reasons that are completely dishonorable to the Lord. Or even, it's just an example. Another example is, is mass. Mass, right? Ah. Uh, Whether one wears a mask or whether one doesn't wear a mask, do we, do we judge people by that? Do we think that they're less spiritual because they wear? Or they, are they not trusting God because they're, not, they're wearing it? Are they being unloving because they aren't wearing it? You know, all these things. This is very normal. Normal tendencies of a legalistic heart. Sure, we may conclude that one choice of, of these is better than the other. But we should never start treating our own conviction as God's word for others, because it's not. It's our word. It's our conclusions. We can only hold others to God's word, what God says. To hold them to anything else is a form of legalism from which Christ set us free. Fourthly, our freedom in Christ is a freedom also, not only from legalism, but it's a freedom from licentiousness. Galatians 5, 13 to 14. Paul writes these words. It's the same chapter as the previous. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Brethren, Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And licentiousness is the opposite of legalism. When believers know that they are set free from their sin, from, from the condemnation of sin, they set free from the slavery to sin, then they sometimes can mistakenly believe, as Paul writes in Romans 6, 1, said, may we continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. Right? No, never. You know, I, I remember uh, as a young Christian, I said, oh, man. It's like, oh, Christ's going to forgive me. I can sin whatever I want, and Christ's going to forgive me. i got to cash in on this. And you know, as a young believer, I, I, I lived a, you know, I'm probably still unsaved. That's what I was thinking about. Anyways, no, I think I was a young believer, but I was, I was work, trying to work the system. You know, work the system work, <laughs> to get some free sin in. <laughs> That's licentiousness. 
that did not honor the Lord. Because I didn't, I didn't fully understand what I was doing. I, didn't, I did not fully understand, grasp it, this, this truth. But Christ has set you free. So you, he set you free, so not so you can just continue in sin. Christ has already paid for your sins. We mistakenly think that we have a freedom to live for ourselves when we're free, set free by Christ. Is that what you think? I'm free to now to live my life for myself. And sometimes that, we think that that means even to sin. But may that never be. Rather, our freedom in Christ gives us the opportunity, as Paul would say, to, through love, serve one another. Christ set us free so that we would lovingly serve one another in the body of Christ. True freedom means we're not enslaved to seeking our own good. We're enslaved to seeking others' good. I'm not enslaved to seek my good. I'm enslaved to seek your good. And that's Christ set me free for that. Not so that I can sin against you. Not that I can sin against others. So, but instead, he set me free so that I might serve others. And that's what Christ set you free for. And when we love, one, when we love our neighbors, we're gonna, we're, there's going to be times when we will give up our own preferences for the sake of others. So that, so that although we are free to not wear masks, for those who are, especially those who are fully vaccinated, in fact, if you're, you know, you're free to wear, not wear masks, even if you're fully uh, unvaccinated, I suppose, but I didn't, you know, not because I say that, just you're free to do whatever you want in this country. But out of love for those who are unvaccinated or just uncomfortable, we can wear masks, right? We can choose to do that out of love. Not because it's mandated, but it could, if you're motivated by love, you can do that out of love. Let me add, go to the other side. And although we are free to, to not be vaccinated, right? At least so far, we're free not to be vaccinated. <laughs> or just, you know, we, hopefully you don't, you're never forced to have a vaccination. We're free. Yet, out of love for those in our lives, that we interact with who could be particularly susceptible to catching COVID and, and getting hurt, who could likely die or get very sick from COVID, we can, I would love for them, get vaccinated, right? So what if you get some unknown risk? If you're willing to do it out of love for your brother and sister. Think about that. Of course, I'm not telling you all to wear your masks or not wear masks. I'm not telling you all to get vaccinated or unvaccinated. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. Christ has set you free to serve one another, not yourselves. How will you serve others? That's the challenge for all of us, myself included. Instead of thinking what is my right, let's be thinking about what is right in loving my neighbor as myself. Christ set us free for these things. Well, in conclusion, we wrap this up. On this 4th of July, let us remember our freedoms in Christ. That's more important. A nation's freedom, great. But in about, mm, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred years, we, our nation might not even exist. And so our freedom will, could be lost. Uh, we're freedom also as a church to worship. Um, and that's, that may, well, that may last until the next pandemic, I suppose, uh, sometimes. You, you just kind of think... Um, there's, it's, it's been so, it's been pretty crazy a year that even, you know, you think about it, some, our fellow pastors in, uh, in some places have become arrested because they basically want to worship the Lord uh, with the church body. Yeah. Can you imagine that? It's crazy, right? They've been arrested. You know, we may, you may not even agree with them that you should have been meeting, whatever, but they have every right to worship, every freedom. That's a freedom of religion right there. But anyways, it's just crazy. That may be taken away, but your freedom in Christ 
will never be taken away. Your freedom from slavery to sin will never be taken away. Your freedom from condemnation will never be taken away. Your freedom from legalism will never be taken away. Your freedom from licentiousness is forever taken away. It will never be taken away. Most important of all, but, and this is, and this, this really, honestly, it came to me as I was driving in this morning, okay? <laughs> it's, just, it's true, I've already kind of applied it, but it's the fifth thing that Christ, freedom in Christ accomplished for us. And that freedom of Christ has set us free from death itself. I know this is obvious. We kind of allude to it. But Christ set from death itself. And, and this, this year has been a powerful lesson from God about the reality of death, right? Disease and death have been a constant shadow over our lives. And I know in our church body, we've had several of us have lost loved ones over the past year. And those have been compounded uh, by the, the deaths of, of many to disease. Um, that the very best in our nation, the smartest in it, have labored to understand and control and yet still are not, uh, are, don't have a full grasp on it yet. And I know that, that that shadow of death is real, especially for people like myself. And I don't know about you, and this is going to, I think I shared with you, those who joined my workshop retreat a couple years ago, know that it's uh, people like myself who have wrestled basically with the fear of dying, not death. But dying, you know, the dying process. You ever think about that? Oh, I'll try to think about that. What's going to be like just to be lying there? Anyways, it's something that I uh, had wrestled with when early a couple years back, and that's that's what. But but that's when when I wrestle with these things, and, and the pa- pandemic has made me think about it more. It's caused me instead to remember Christ's words again, to continue in His words. I've held on more to and particularly the words of, of Jesus in John 11, 25, 26. Jesus said to, uh, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? These are the words of Christ. And these are his word to us. And these are truth. And these are words that, for, for people like myself, or hopefully some of you out there, these are truths that you can hold on to. Because when you understand this, the law of sin and death is no longer in effect for those of you, us, in Christ. Christ, our resurrection and life, has conquered over death, has overcome the grave. He has endured the dying process as well as death. And his dying process was infinitely worse than our dying process. He is the light that we hold on to in our darkness. He is our life in the face of death. He is our freedom from death. In fact, he's completely changed death for us, dying and death. For all of us before Christ, dying and death was basically an entrance into eternal death, right? Eternal separation from God and hell. That was all of our destiny. But when we put our faith in Christ, he transformed our physical death into something more. It's not just a, it's not entryway into death. It is the entryway to life. The dying process, death itself, is the entrance into life eternal with Christ. That's what he says. And everyone who lives and believes will never die. And and even if he dies, he will live because Christ is the resurrection and life. And the question is, I've asked myself and I, and I ask you, do you believe this? Do you continue in these truths? I know 
Uh, many of you don't wrestle with these things that I wrestle with, but, well, hopefully you can, maybe there's some uh, benefit to it that you can see that your, your pastor is also a finite, frail human being. May all the disciples of Jesus Christ continue in the truths of Christ, for the truth has set us free. In all these ways that we talked about today, all who are freed in Christ are truly free. All right. Let's rejoice and uh, let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll uh, respond in the final song. Father in heaven, thank you, for, um, thank you for your truths that you've spoke to us, revealed to us through your son. Thank you that his words reveal to us what is reality, what is real in our world. Thank you for showing us that you are real, that our souls are real, that sin is real, that our need for salvation is real, and that the provision of your son is real, that his death and resurrection are real, and then through faith in him, our hope of salvation is real. Thank you for setting us free from our bondage to sin, our slavery to sin, our condemnation uh, because of sin. The, we said, thank you for setting us free from the, the, the penalty over sin, the, the power of sin. Thank you for the hope that one day even the presence of sin shall be removed. God, help us to set us free from any using our freedom as an excuse, uh, to, uh, to, for, to legalism or licentiousness. Help us to live lives uh, instead and out of love for you, out of love for our neighbors, uh, that reflect this true freedom that we have in Christ. God, make your word clear to your people. Impress upon them the truths that each one needs to hear. Let us all walk out of here having heard your word and walking forward, going forward to our world to share these truths with others, a world of darkness that needs the light of Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name.